Grace, peace and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, send us out in truth. Your word is truth. Amen. So we're finishing our series on growing in Jesus here at St. Michael's. We've said for a long time, even before I was here, that this is what we are here to do, to grow in Jesus. And so we've been reflecting on that for a month now and working our way through what that means. And not just in the things that we should do. And it's easy to get a list of things you've got to do. We all find that helpful, don't we? But to go a little bit beyond that and say, well, what is it that we are becoming a part of as a Christian? What is it that we are brought into? And so we've looked at the fact that our life in God begins not because we've earned it or we've found the way or we've stumbled on the truth, but because Jesus himself draws us to himself. He calls us into his kingdom. He has set us free by his grace. He has welcomed us by grace, by the gift that is forgiveness of sins and nothing that we've ever done to deserve it. And so we begin our Christian journey, whether it starts in infancy or adulthood or wherever, it doesn't matter, in grace, in humility and in gratitude toward God, knowing that this is what he's done for us because of his love for us and nothing else. And so we begin our life as God calls us into his kingdom. And from there, we begin to explore what that means. And we explored the idea that having Jesus as Lord, it needs to permeate our whole life. If we're going to truly grow in the knowledge of God, it needs to be a part of everything we do. If you've been following in our little booklet, one of my favorite questions to write down was the simple one that said, define the term Lord. I think about that. We declare that Jesus is Lord. Okay, what is it that you're actually declaring? And the fact that that has to cover every part of our life, doesn't it? Somebody can't be Lord and then, you know, we take their advice from time to time. You know, they can't be Lord and we'll defer to them when we kind of don't know what to do ourselves. If somebody is Lord as we profess Jesus is, our whole life has to be directed and driven by him and his will because that's the place he has. We are not lords of ourselves, but we declare that Jesus is our Lord and our Saviour and we know that God is good. And so it's not something that brings fear and trembling, but in reality something that brings release and freedom. We've explored that knowing God means that we understand our life is being drawn towards other people and we can't say that that's simply a good thing. Oh, anyone can say that it's good to hang out with people. Even introverts from time to time will say that. But we say that we are community because that reflects God's nature. That God as Father, Son and Spirit is the perfect community. That's who they are and we are created in their image. And so community isn't something that we do because it's good. It's something that we are a part of because it's a part of our nature part of how God has created us. And so to explore life together and experience life together as God's people is merely reflecting who God always intended us to be. It's part of our humanity. We are defined in togetherness, not in isolation. And then last week, we explored what it means to bear fruit for God's glory in its season. And Michael, Pastor Michael here um, expressed it beautifully. Ultimately, the fruit is love love for god and love for the world and we know when we trust that god has given us gifts to use in his kingdom as we live our lives in community for the good of each other and the community we're a part of and for the glory of god as we share who he is by the means in which god has enabled us 
But it's very easy as Christians to get focused in this life. In fact, most people don't get much beyond that. We think about um, explaining our Christian faith as a thing that helps us to understand and navigate the complexities of life. And especially in a post-Christian age where people kind of ridicule Christianity, it's become a really important part of our life to discuss how knowing Jesus actually makes a difference in the here and now. But we need to balance that with the reality that that's not the whole story. Right? We are not simply Christians so that this life runs a little bit better. Right? We don't come to know God and his grace through Jesus so that I can be a bit more comfortable and take things a bit easier and not worry so much. That's not the whole point. That's part of what happens when we know God. You know, that even in the most troubling of circumstances, you see Christians throughout history have a sense of peace and of willingness to carry on in humility um, and do it with such grace and poise. And people have often reflected on why is this happening? And, and we hear those stories over and over again. People say it's because whatever happens, I know that Jesus loves me. I know who I am in him. And so these present circumstances don't define me. But if you think about keeping our life in balance, I mean, we're not even talking about, you know, we've got to do our life here and our life in eternity as if, you know, it's 50-50. If you think about what we're ultimately uh, growing in Jesus for, and we heard it in those readings, is that we're all actually moving, not through our lives to get um, to the end and think, well, that went okay, but all of human history is driving to the point where God reconciles himself once and for all with the world. And we heard that in the reading from Revelation, where the heavenly city, God's dwelling place in heaven, descends and rejoins the new creation. And I love that line, behold, the dwelling place of God is now with humanity. You know, things were put back to the way that God had always intended, that the wrongs of the world are made right, that wickedness is done away with. And this is the future that we are driving towards. It's not something we're going to stumble over or maybe reach some point, but this is the whole point and purpose of our existence now is to see that day when everything is made right again. It was interesting, about 10 or 15 years ago in London, um, a group of atheists got sick of buses with slogans from churches on the side. So they put out a bus ad that went far and wide saying, there's probably no God, so don't worry about it. Enjoy your life. And you go, oh, that's, you know, from our perspective, we're going, good one, guys. But you actually think about what they're saying. There is no God. There is no purpose. There is no meaning. When you die, nobody's going to care. You're going to become dust. And everything you've ever done is completely entirely meaningless. So have fun. Any thinking person will look at that and say, well, then my life, no matter how good it gets, is pointless, right? If, if that's what we're driving towards, if this is the future hope is that there is no hope, how, how can I not worry? Because every moment here on earth, is, it's it, right? Every experience, this is as far as it goes. There is no hope, but for us as Christians, we go, actually... We grow in Jesus because there is coming a time where he is going to call us home and we're going to experience and see and understand life in a way that we never could even come close to imagining here and now 
Well, then we can get on and enjoy life, can't we? Then we can make the most of our time. And then, but this is what's drawing us into this future hope. And so Jesus says to his disciples, we heard in John 14, don't let your hearts be troubled. You trust in God, trust in me. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you to be with me so that where you are, I am. That's our future hope. And he says, this is the reason our hearts should not be troubled because of that great final call when we are reunited with him. That he will take us home, that we will see once and for all everything that God had intended. And you think, what's that going to look like? And as I was preparing the sermon, I'm like, fire out, it's going to have to be a short one because I have no idea. But, you know, just imagine for a moment... Have you ever stopped for a moment and imagined what it's going to be like one day to see your saviour face to face and be welcomed home by him? Paul once wrote that we see now as if through a mirror dimly lit, as if we only get a shadow of an understanding of what's truly going on behind the scenes you know the book of revelation is giving us a glimpse behind the scenes all we have is shadows of it so you think about our lives now with all the grand experiences of god we have with all the beauty that we have seen in his creation and in his grace every time we have seen god at work and been amazed at what he's doing all of that is a shadow of what is to come the greatest of godly experiences we can have now is but a glimpse of what eternity with him is going to look like. In the book of Hebrews, it says that we have a great cloud of witnesses cheering us on. Can you imagine the ruckus in heaven as the saints throughout God's history and the angels and those who serve at the feet of God are actually looking on us, God's people, and cheering us on to that final moment? As if we're running a race and that is the finishing line that we are driving towards and having all of those people and all of those angels cheering for us, encouraging us, hoping for us as we make our way to our eternal home. Can you even begin to understand what it's going to be like on that day when God reveals it to us, either when we leave this world and meet him or he comes back to it and all of those things become clear you know that's something i struggle to put words to but there's one place that i love to turn at this point to put words to it c.s lewis i quote him a lot the guy was a genius when it comes to writing uh, has anyone here read the book screw tape letters if you haven't do it it is the best book on understanding temptation that i think you will ever find the book screw tape letters c.s lewis incidentally came up with the idea when to quote him, he was sitting in church one day during a particularly bad sermon and the idea came to him. Like, if that's what a bad sermon can produce, good. <laughs> Are there any writers in the room? <laughs> so the, the, the screw tape letters, it's dealing with temptation, but the way C.S. Lewis did it, instead of telling us to avoid temptation, he took a different tact and tried to explain how temptation works the other way. And so the screw tape letters is uh, letters between two devils. Wormwood, a, a junior devil who's having his first taste at tempting a human being to walk away from God and he's writing to his uncle Screwtape for advice on how to tempt 
and mislead this human. And so the stories are how, how temptation works, how we need to be careful of the things that um, the devil is going to try to lead us away from God. It's a magic piece of work. And so I'm going to tell you the end, but if you've, you could catch on to where the end's going to go, um, and I'm going to read it because I want to get it right. Um, it doesn't spoil the book, so still go work through the book. But C.S. Lewis, a master of words, I'll share with you how he defines and describes what this grand end looks like. So this is Screwtape writing to Wormwood because this human that Wormwood had been tempting um, dies in World War II during a bombing raid. And so Wormwood loses, this man is destined for heaven. And Screwtape says to him, did you mark how naturally, as if he'd been born for it, the earth-born vermin entered the new life? How all his doubts became, in the twinkling of an eye, ridiculous. I know what that creature was saying to itself. Yes, of course. It was always like this. All horrors have followed the same course, getting worse and worse and worse and forcing you into a kind of bottleneck till at that very moment when you thought you must be crumbled, behold, you were out of the narrows and it was suddenly well. The extraction hurt more and more and then the tooth was out. The dream becomes a nightmare and then you wake. You die and die and then you are on death. Uh, then you are beyond death. How could I ever have doubted it? And as he saw you, Wormwood, he also saw them, the angels. And he had no faintest conception till that very hour of how they would look and even doubted their existence. But when he saw them, he knew and he'd always known them and realized what part each of them had played at many an hour in his life when he'd supposed himself alone so that now he could say to them one by one, not, who are you? But so it was you all along. All that they were and said at this meeting woke memories. The dim consciousness of friends about him which had haunted his solitudes from infancy was now at last explained. The central music in every pure experience which had always just evaded memory was now at last recovered. He saw not only them, he saw him. This animal, this thing begotten in a bed could look on him. What is blinding, suffocating fire to you is now cool light to him. His clarity itself wears the form of a man. That's as best a description of entering eternity I think I could ever find. I don't know about you, but can you imagine what it must have been like? For all those who have gone before us to see their saviour, what it must be like when our time comes. To see our whole life given its proper place. See, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. When he said that to his disciples, he wasn't just talking about the here and now. It was framed in the conversation of the fact that he was coming back. And this way, this truth, this life was leading to the point where we would finally see him face to face. No longer dimly through a mirror, but fully. As C.S. Lewis describes, with pure clarity and light. 
And so Jesus, this way for us, shows our place in this world, our place that we take in the great narrative that God has been weaving since the day the world began, our place in eternity with him alongside the angels and the archangels and the whole company of heaven. And so we will finally know our place, no more question, no more doubt, no more wondering whether God really loves us because it will go beyond a shadow of a doubt. And this Jesus says, I am the truth. And so our whole life that has been before us will be put in an amazing perspective. As before us is unveiled, not just how things were going in our life and what we could have done and should have done, but ultimately this Jesus is the truth who leads us to understand all of our experiences in the great place that he was calling us to. This truth that we were destined for life with God in eternity forever. This truth that pain and suffering was not meant to be our lot. It was not what God created us for. And it was not what God would allow us to endure anymore once he calls us home. And so we're given this marvelous perspective. A perspective that puts all our quibbling and our wondering and our challenges to God now in an eternal light where there is no more doubt. All the things that we devote our time to now, our energies, consider what they will look like on that day when all that matters is who we are with, with our Saviour, with those who have gone before us, seeing for the first time. You know, Francis Chan, an American pastor, had a great analogy. At one point, he stretched a rope across the front of his church and he went to one end. He said, imagine this is time and eternity all put together. And then he wrapped a little bit of tape around one end. He said, this is your life as long as it may be, 80, 90, 100 years. And then this, the rest of it, is eternity. You know, it creates an incredible perspective, doesn't it? When we say even the worst that we experience now will be just a blip when we are finally called home to be with our Saviour. And this Jesus talking to his disciples says he's the way, the truth, and finally the life. Not a good life, not a meaningful life, not a purposeful life, but the life. The one that we were always meant to have, the one that understands peace, not because we have wrapped around us securities and, and promises and everything we need to protect ourselves and to make the most of life, but true peace where finally there will be no threat. True peace where there is nothing that threatens us anymore. True peace where there is only love and God and us with him. And everything wretched and wrong and wicked and broken is done away with and we need fear no more. Peace because there is no longer any threat to us or our loved ones. Can you imagine? Have you ever stopped to consider The Bible gives us many descriptions. Jesus, through many parables, gives us glimpses of what those, that day is going to be like for us. Like a wedding banquet where our seat at the table is already reserved. And we're not talking our wedding banquets where it goes for two hours and it's three courses and the middle one is chicken or beef. But imagine a wedding that stretches on for days. You know, the ancient tradition of weddings where you celebrate for days on end pure joy at what the future hopes for the couple who have been joined together. Well, in Revelation, didn't we hear 
the heavenly city like a bride prepared for her groom for Jesus. This is our great wedding feast that God is preparing us for, where all there is is the joy and the wonder and the expectation of what this life together is going to be. What is this future going to be for us? It is like the king who says to us, come those of you who are blessed by my father, come receive the inheritance that has been prepared for you since the foundation of the world. What is this future? It is like the master having given gifts to his servants to use, comes back and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Come, enter your master's happiness. You know, once I finish here and I promise I'm wrapping up soon, we're going to sing that great modern hymn in Christ alone. When we sing it in the other services, so last night and this morning I read out the final verse. I don't need to read it this morning because we're going to sing it. But as you sing it, read it, digest what we're singing. Our whole Christian life, our growing in Jesus is driving us to that great and wonderful day where either we are taken from this world to enter the glory of God or God willing, who knows, where we actually get to see that heavenly city reunited with earth and everything put right again. Can you imagine? Jesus said to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. You trust in God, so trust also in me. I am going in my father's house. There are many rooms and I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I am coming back to take you with me so that where you are, I am. Can you only imagine? So the peace of God that passes all human understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus now and into eternity. Amen.